Hey everyone, Pastor Alex here. I just want to take a moment and welcome you to the Sunswept Baptist Church podcast. Our vision at Sunswept Baptist Church is to be a church where everybody is somebody and Christ is all. If you're interested in visiting our church or getting more information, visit sunswepbaptist.org. Well, as you might know, we are about halfway through. Today is actually the third sermon in a four-week series on Advent. And Advent is just a fancy Christian word that means arrival. It's, we're talking about over the next, the last two weeks and one more week after this, the arrival of Jesus. Now, for a lot of us, uh, the arrival of Jesus kind of is a story just about Jesus in a manger and the Virgin Mary and them going to Bethlehem. And, you know, we think of the movie, the nativity story and all of these things. And believe me, that is so important. The birth of Christ, the arrival of Christ is so important, but we can never forget that Jesus didn't just stay a baby in a manger, right? He grew up, he lived a perfect life that you and I have been commanded to live but fail at every single day, but then he went to the cross in your place and bore your sins so that you could be reconciled to God. So Advent, the arrival of Christ, is not just about his birth as a baby, it is about his whole life and how that impacts your life today. Because Jesus still changes lives. He has changed my life. He has changed so many lives of people in here. And that happened because he came, because he arrived, because Advent happened. Well, when I was growing up, I have two younger brothers, and my middle brother had a pet rat. His name is Sam, and he named his rat Samantha. Real creative. Um, Now, why my brother felt the need to have a pet rat I have no idea. That does not appeal to me, even in the slightest. I don't understand why people would like them. If you have a pet rat, I mean no disrespect. I just don't understand it. But he had a pet rat, and every single night, without fail, you could hear that rat in its cage running on its little running wheel. It would run full speed for hours. You could hear it kind of squeaking in there, running as fast as it possibly could. And I always just thought that was not very smart because he was running full speed, Well, I guess she, his name's Samantha, so she was running full speed as fast as she possibly can and getting absolutely nowhere. She was just tiring herself out. Well, I think that's what a lot of us do when it comes to joy. We put ourselves on this wheel that we think will bring us joy, and we run as hard and as fast as we possibly can after things in this life, thinking that it will eventually bring us joy. Eventually, we will find fulfillment. But then the same thing happens to us that would happen to Samantha. You don't end up any further along in finding joy than when you started, and the only result is you are tired and less fulfilled than you were when you began the process. So how do we find joy? How do we have joy in this life? Now, as Christians, we should be the most joyful people on this planet because of what we believe, that Jesus came and bore our sins and was resurrected on the third day so that we could be reconciled to God, proving He really is God, proving He had overcome sin and death. That message right there is so good that we should be the most joyful people on this planet. What's really sad, though, is that many of us are not marked by joy, are we? Many of us are not marked by the joy of God's salvation that he has given to us, and we, our joy resembles more of what the world is. Our lack of joy resembles more of what people around us experience. All you have to do to realize this is understand that much, much of our worship is not driven by joy in who the Lord is. Much of our apathy is... Resemble is, is happening because of our lack of joy in the Lord. 
our supposed walk with the Lord we talk about is dried up, all of that happens because we've lost our joy in the Lord. When our worship is dead, it's because we're finding joy in something else. When we have apathy, it's because we have found the things of the world more alluring than the things of God. When our walk with God is dried up, it's because we've no longer found Him as the one who satisfies us, and we've gone to the things of the world. So what I want to ask this morning is, how do we move into a more joy-filled walk with Jesus? Because Jesus came to give us joy. And so how do we actually experience that joy in our day-to-day life? The answer is found in Christ. The answer is found in who he is and what he accomplished on our behalf. And so just kind of the big idea for this morning is that Jesus gives joy. Jesus gives joy, which means if you're not experiencing joy this morning, this should be a very encouraging message to you because you're going to walk away with things you can do to experience the joy Jesus gives us. So hope you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 16. Let me get there really quickly. Psalm chapter, or I guess just Psalm 16 says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. God, my prayer is that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. God, when David prayed that in Psalm 51, it was in the wake of a sin um, pattern, lifestyle that he had been living. And when he came to you in repentance, confessing his sin, one of the things he prayed is that you would restore to him the joy of your salvation. God, many of us are in that same boat this morning. We need to know your joy. We need joy in our lives. It seems as if our faith has dried up. It seems as if our walk with you has dried up. God, my prayer is that you would restore joy to us this morning. You would make us a joy-filled people so that when people see us, they don't see simply us, but they see you in us and your joy in us overflowing in how we talk and how we act. God, I pray this morning that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it, because if we do what your word says, then we will experience the fullness of joy. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, the first thing we see here in Psalm 16 is that joy is not found in created things. Joy is not found in created things. Look here at verse 4 with me in Psalm 16. Verse 4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. So what does it mean to run after other gods? Well, when I think of running, I think of this guy named Eliud Kipchoge. Have you guys ever heard of him before? 
He is the man, the first man ever to run a marathon in less than two hours. A marathon in less than two hours. Now, for some frame of reference, that is like running an entire football field in 17 seconds, 422 times in a row. I would like to see some of us just run a football field, period. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. But this guy ran the span of a football field, his pace, in 17 seconds. That's so fast. And he didn't just stop there. He did it 422 more times. That is really, really fast. So when I think of running, when I think of a runner, he's the first person I think of. Because in my mind, that is like the pinnacle of human accomplishment, to be able to run a marathon in less than two hours. I can't even run a marathon, period. That's amazing to me. But think about it. For this guy to be able to run a marathon in under two hours, he had to train a lot, didn't he? He probably had to give up a lot of things in his life, probably no more ice cream runs, probably no more McDonald's or anything like that. He was devoted to this training. He spent hours every single day working on his form, working on his technique, working on the endurance to be able to run a football field in 17 seconds 422 times. It took a lot of commitment. It required sacrifice. And in the end, he did end up accomplishing his goal. Now, when I think of when this passage says here in verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, we can apply what Eliot Kipchoge would do to how we run after idols. We as people can become so committed to the idols in our life that we will run hard after them and sacrifice anything we have to to have the things of this world. We'll give up relationships. We will give up time with our family. We'll give up time with God's people so that we can run after our idols. Now, the Hebrew word here, um, when it says run after, is the Hebrew word mahar, which is a hard word to translate. And in fact, across a lot of the English translations, it's translated slightly differently. But kind of a transliteration of it would be it means to sell or exchange something for something else. And so how does this connect to run after? Well, David is saying that those who exchange themselves or sell themselves to the worship of idols are going to experience continual sadness over and over and over again. So we might say those who run after idols will experience sorrow their entire race. If you run after idols in your life, you will experience sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. So what is it we sell? What does it mean to sell ourselves in the worship of other gods? It's any time a pursuit of the world causes a conflict with your pursuit of God. When that happens, you are following something to, or you are selling something to follow after false gods. So whenever a hobby, a relationship, something you enjoy doing, whenever that causes a conflict of interest with your relationship with God, you are doing what verse 4 says. You are following hard. You're running after another God. And the result of that is that your sorrow will multiply. Why? Because joy is not found in created things. So if a business or job causes you to maybe sacrifice your Christian convictions, then you're pursuing after an idol. You are running after an idol. If a relationship causes you to become lax in your personal purity or commitment to your spouse, then you are following after an idol. 
if a hobby causes you to forego your responsibilities as a Christ follower, maybe leading your family spiritually or being with God's people so you can enjoy, quote-unquote, you time, you are following after an idol. It's so easy. It's so easy for you and I to fall in this trap, to just focus in on the things of this world and run hard after that. The point is, any activity or life direction that causes you to take your eyes off of Jesus will result in sorrow. Anytime you follow after the idols of this world, it will result in sorrow. And you might say, how do we know that? How can I be so sure? Well, just consider how much pain is caused by sin. Just consider how much pain is caused by sin, how much brokenness is caused by sin, how much loneliness is caused by sin, how much destruction is caused by sin, how many families are broken apart because of sin. We follow after our sinful desires. Brokenness will follow shortly after. And you see, it's so interesting. When you're tempted to follow after idols, you never hear that other side that brokenness is going to follow, that, sor- that sorrow is going to follow. When sin comes and you're tempted, what are you told? This is going to feel really good. This is going to fulfill you. This, this is what you need in your life. Sin doesn't tell you the sorrow and the loneliness and the lack of fulfillment that will always follow after it, the brokenness that is in the wake of running after idols. So it's not far-fetched to consider that when we run hard after idols, sorrow will follow over and over and over again. And it's because the created things of this world were never meant to give you joy. The created things around us were never meant to be your source of joy. Joy is found in who God is. He gave us created things to enjoy, but not to find our end in. God created things for us to enjoy as gifts. I think of good food or nature. All of these things are good gifts of God, but they were never created to be your source of joy. Which means when you try to find your joy in those things, you will always leave disappointed. When your life is wrapped up in a job or maybe hunting and fishing or relationship or any other created thing, insert whatever it is you like to do. When you find your joy solely in that thing, it will never, never supply you the joy that God can give you. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't experience any joy. I have no joy in my life. The thing I would encourage you to do is examine your life and just be honest with yourself and ask the question, am I pursuing the things of the world? Because if you are, the end result is sorrow, not joy. The end result of a life just devoted to what you want and what you want to do is sorrow, not joy. You know, one of people's biggest goals in life is to be wealthy and famous, right? We want to be known by the world. We want to have all the money and the glamour and all this stuff. Um, Jim Carrey famously said he wishes everyone could be rich and famous so they could realize it's not everything it's cracked up to be. He has it all. But then King Solomon, uh, who wrote Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, he said something very similar. This was a guy who really did have it all, and he said, It's all vanity. It goes quickly like a mist. Chasing after the things of the world is like trying to chase after the wind. You'll never catch it. You'll never have enough to be joyful. If your joy is found in created things, you'll never have joy. It'll be a, a fruitless pursuit because those things can never give you joy. So examine your life and and, and think about, am I chasing after the things of the world? Because if you are, sorrow will follow. But there is a much 
better way. And that's what I think David talks about here in the rest of this passage and leads us to our second point, which is to position yourself in God. Position yourself in God. Now, when it comes to joy, the first thing we have to understand is that joy is not a feeling. Joy is not merely a feeling. Joy is a characteristic that is made manifest in the life of people who have placed their trust and hope in God. You see, we, we a lot of times get joy and happiness kind of mixed up in our minds. Happiness is definitely a feeling, right? Like if you gave me a gift or something, I might be happy. But then if I am in a fender bender out here, I probably won't be happy anymore. Happiness kind of ebbs and flows throughout our life, but joy can stay constant regardless of your situation. You might not be happy about something that happened, but God can still give you joy to be able to trust him in those circumstances. So joy is not a feeling. Joy is a characteristic that God brings about in your life as you trust and hope in him. So joy then is something that comes when we, as people, position ourselves in a relationship with God. When we spend time with Him, when we spend time in His Word, when we spend time with His people, He brings out that characteristic of joy through the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we position ourselves in God? Well, I think David gets really practical here for us. Look at verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I don't think David was just talking about Israel right there. I think he's talking about something that is coming, right? Something far better that can never be taken away. I think David is talking about his eternal hope in God, heaven. And so this is, let's kind of think back a couple months here. Remember when we were going through 1 Peter, and a huge thing in 1 Peter is not to place your hope in the things of this world, but instead to set your gaze on what is coming, on Christ's return and the restoration he is going to bring with that. And it's a very similar idea here. Guys, if you just look at what is going on around you and hope that it gets better, that your circumstances will get better, that sicknesses will go away and situations will get better. If your whole joy in life is based just on your circumstances, you will not have joy. Because we live in a broken world, full of broken people just like you and me. And so if all of our hope is in man-made things like government structures or businesses or our lives being easy and getting to do everything we want to do, we're going to not have joy. So David tells us, don't put your hope here in this world. Put your hope in what is coming, your eternal inheritance. And Paul says that it's something that can't be taken away from you. If you've placed faith in Christ, you have an eternal inheritance, which is what? Spending eternity with God forever in heaven, where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more destruction, no more sadness, no more death. Everything is restored. So we put our hope in that. So the first thing, how do we position ourselves in God? You look forward to our eternal future. Look forward to what God is doing. Don't put your hope in what is happening right now. But the second thing, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I bless the Lord. So the first thing, look forward to our eternal future. The second thing is praise God for who he is. Praise God for who he is regardless of what is going on around you. Praise him for who he is. 
One commentator said there is enough in the character of God to furnish us with joy in the worst circumstance on earth. What does that mean? God is good enough in his character. He is glorious enough. He is loving enough in his character to be enough for you when the worst circumstance on this world imaginable happens to you. When you don't know if you're going to make it because maybe you've contracted a terminal illness, God is enough for you in that scenario. He is enough to sustain your joy through that horrible situation. When storms come and bring destruction to our area, God is enough. He will give us joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. His love, His word, His sacrifice for you is enough. If everything goes away, He is enough. And so if you are lacking joy in your life, if you sense that you're finding joy in the things of this world, a really great way to begin to position yourself back in a right relationship with God is to praise Him for who He is. When you're convinced of the goodness of God, the result of that is going to be heartfelt, authentic praise before Him. If He is your hope, we will praise Him. And even if sometimes it's hard to have hope in Him, the right response is still to praise Him as a declaration that you trust Him even when it's difficult. When that happens, He will give you joy. The last thing we see here in verses 7 through 8 um, is, let's see here, verse 7. I'm going to read it again. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So the third way we position ourselves in a, in a relationship with God that will yield joy in our lives is we dig deep into the Scriptures. You don't rely on what you know because you don't know enough to get you through a circumstance. I don't have enough in me to get me through a difficult circumstance. So what do I rely on? You rely on God's word to sustain you through whatever you are going through. You dig deep into the scriptures. We see here and in other places that David was someone who allowed the instruction of the Lord to guide his way. It's all through the Psalms. And one of the most, the coolest thing about the Psalms is just a declaration a lot of times to how good God's instruction is how good God's word is. And so here is no different. David was someone who let, allowed the, God, the word of God to instruct the way he was supposed to live. For many of us, we lack joy because we're following our own way. We're doing our own thing. We think we've got it figured out, so we just kind of like, you know, follow our heart. Where does that get you? Where does that get me? Far from joy. Far from joy. So if we're going to position ourselves in a relationship with God to experience joy, we're going to do that by digging deep into the Scriptures. If you lack joy in your life, get in God's Word. Just read it. Meditate on it. Let it sustain you through the hard times. And I'll just put a plug in here. This is another reason it's so key to memorize Scripture. Because you don't always have your Bible with you when tragedy strikes, do you? You don't always have your Bible with you when depression hits and you feel like you have no joy at all but when you have the scriptures right here and right here because you've memorized it you've meditated on it it will sustain you regardless of the circumstance so what's the result if we look forward to the eternal future if we dig deep into the scriptures if we praise god for who he is what is the result we'll look here at verse nine therefore which we don't see one of those a lot in the old testament but therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices 
My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. So there's that idea again that when we position ourselves in God's presence, what happens? There's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what is the result of us positioning ourselves in God's presence for joy? One, our heart will be full in Christ, that even if everything is taken away from us, our heart will still be full because Christ is enough for us regardless of any circumstance. Secondly, we'll experience rejoicing. Rejoicing. How do people praise in the wake of a disaster? How are we supposed to do that? Because we are so convinced of who God is and that He is good that we can praise Him regardless of the circumstances. But then the third thing, I love this one, our flesh is kept in check. When we have our joy found in Christ, our flesh is kept in check. Remember, what's the result of sin and following after idols? Sadness after sadness after sadness after sadness over and over and over again. So how in the world are we supposed to prevent that from happening? Look here at verse 9. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, David, of course, is talking about how how God is with him regardless of any circumstance, but I think there's a deeper element here that his flesh, his sinful desires are kept in check when he is in the presence of the Lord, when he is following hard after the Lord and not following hard after idols. His flesh is going to be kept in check. If you are experiencing a lack of joy in your life, we need to look at and see, are you someone who's following hard after the flesh? Because someone who's experiencing the joy of the Lord in their life is someone who's going to be devoted in obedience. Not that you'll be perfect. We all fail, right? We all fail. We all sin. We all have temptations that we give into. But the overall trajectory, the overall narrative of your life is someone who is obedient to God, not someone who continually gives into the flesh over and over again. Because those who continually give into the flesh over and over again are not experiencing the joy of God. So how do we bring all this together? Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not circumstantial. It's not based on a situation. It's a characteristic of what happens when we are positioned in a relationship with God. When we're placing our hope in an eternal home, living a life of praise, and digging deep into the scriptures, you will experience the joy of God. You'll experience the joy of God if you position yourself in a relationship with Him, if you strive hard after Him. You know, like many of you, on Friday night, Bree and I were hunkered down in our basement um, under our house, and I was having a lot of flashbacks to last March. Bree and I were living in Cookville at the time, and on March 3rd, a massive tornado similar to what happened on Friday night came through our area, and everybody was like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime event. This will never happen to you again. And then what happened on Friday night? How do you have hope in situations like that? Where is your hope going to be found when you're hunkering down in your basement, wondering if your house is going to be hit. Your hope can't be in your situation, can it? Your hope can't be in the things of this world. Your hope can't be in your house. Your hope can't be anywhere but in the Lord. Your hope can't be anywhere but in that He is good enough to where even if something tragic were to happen to you, He's still with you. He's not abandoned you. I love here when it says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. God is with you. 
even in the worst circumstance, even when a storm takes everything you own or your loved one dies or someone does something to you that is so horrible and sinful, God has not abandoned you. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is he works out these horrible situations that are either done to us or sometimes even caused by us. He can redeem those situations and turn it into something beautiful. And sometimes that beautiful result is that you were drawn closer into him and find your joy in him, not in the things of this world. And in moments like the storm on Friday night, your joy can't be circumstantial, can it? Your joy has to be found in the Lord. Our joy must be rooted and grounded in something bigger and more faithful than ourselves. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus came to give you joy. That's part of Advent. He came to give you joy. He purchased your joy for you 2,000 years ago on the cross. So if you don't know him, If you've never been saved, never repented of your sins and placed faith in Christ, your right response to this message, if you want to experience joy, is to turn your life over to him. I don't know everyone in here personally, but I know we're all human. And I know myself. When I'm at the helm of my own life in doing what Alex wants to do, destruction always follows. Brokenness always follows. But when Christ is at the helm, joy and peace always follow. And so if you don't know Christ, he will give you joy today if you turn your life over to him. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. And it says later that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So regardless of what you've done, regardless of the sin or the brokenness you've caused, Jesus came to give you life. And a part of that life is a joy-filled life. The advent of Jesus brings us joy because we have been saved from our sins and the trials of this life will never begin to compare to the glory we're going to experience in heaven. So I guess if there's something I would encourage you to do, it's if you want to experience joy, position yourself in a relationship with God. And if you're a believer, strive hard after him and he will give you joy. Even when you don't feel it, he will give you joy and sustain you through the most difficult circumstances imaginable. Something that's always been interesting to me is how did the early church make it? How did they survive? These are young believers. They're average, normal, everyday people, just like you and me, who underwent persecution after persecution after persecution. They experienced being killed, being torn away from their families, being killed in front of thousands of people for entertainment. How did they make it? How did they remain joyful through those circumstances? It's because their joy was in something bigger than themselves. I hope your joy is in something bigger than yourself. I hope your joy is in Christ. And if it's not, you can do that today. You can put your joy in him simply by positioning yourself in a relationship with him. So we're going to pray and worship together before we head out. Um, If you need to talk, I'm always down here at the front to talk to you about whatever God is doing in your life. If you want to talk after, that's this totally fine But I would just encourage you to really meditate and consider what we've read today and how you might be able to pursue more faithful biblical joy in your life. Let's pray together.